Welcome to the podcast, Jabber. We welcome you to the episode entitled Sir Spencer. It was late and nobody was standing watch, so Spencer, with the stealth for which he was famous among his comrades, slinked his way through the darkness into the galley. Sugar, then valuable as a currency, was what he was after. A whole sackful of sugar, if he could find one. But as he fumbled through the provisions in the gloom, something startling echoed in his mind. It was the cries of someone being flogged, the disturbing and unexpected hallucination might have been the fragment of a recent memory jarred loose by real noises in the night. For in those days, flogging was acceptable punishment throughout the British Empire, particularly aboard vessels of the Royal Navy. Many a flogging had Spencer witnessed, especially brutal ones. For while most ship's captains viewed corporal punishment as a distasteful and fortunately infrequent necessity, the man under whose command Spencer served took a sadistic delight in it. On the occasions of such discipline, he personally wielded the instrument of torture, putting his full strength into each blow, drawing blood after only two stripes, and then continuing for perhaps dozens. All were compelled to be at these beatings, to hear the screams of anguish, and presumably to heed the painful warning. And yet, unquestionably, according to the later testimony of those who endured the reign of terror, the severity and frequency of the floggings exceeded anything that the home office would have tolerated had they known. In any case, as no infraction was too slight to escape the master's wrath, it was reasonable to conclude that Spencer, for outright thievery, would be severely flogged if caught. Well, he was, and he was. And in the midst of his agony, in the midst of the flesh-ripping, blood-splattering blows, Spencer realized that the screams that he had heard in the galley that night would be his own. And yet, unlike any of his comrades thus punished, Spencer, after recuperating from his wounds, sought revenge. It was a peculiar retribution he plotted, for the cruel master seemed to treasure of all his possessions a certain straw hat, which Spencer seized from its peg when no one was looking and hacked the thing into pieces, into absolute shreds of straw. And the shreds were carried off by the wind leaving no evidence of the foul play. 
and so was conducted Spencer's mutiny, a rebellion imperceptible to those in command, which would one day be remembered as a legendary act of defiance among the pupils of St. George's Boarding School. St. George's Boarding School? Yes, that's right. For the exceptional brutalities of which you have just learned were conducted not by a ship's master, but by a headmaster at a reputable boarding school near Ascot in England's County Berkshire. And the flogged thief who shredded the headmaster's hat was only eight years old. And one day, would co-author another defiant gesture. But first, let us tell you another story of him. A myth, most would agree, and yet some claim it to be as true as the sun rising in the east. Spencer, as a 13 or 14-year-old lad, is saved from drowning in a Scottish lake by a farm boy named Alex. Sometime later, Spencer would telephone this poor lad Alex to say that his parents, Spencer's parents, in gratitude will sponsor poor Alex's otherwise unaffordable medical school education. Alex graduates with honors and in 1928 discovers that certain bacteria cannot grow in certain vegetable molds. In 1943, Spencer would become deathly ill in the Near East and Alex's invention, penicillin, is flown out to effect his cure. Thus, once again, Alexander Fleming saves the life of Spencer a second time. And while this may be a myth, the next story that I recount to you is no myth at all. It happened once upon a winter time. The air was cool and clear. Pine Forest was not yet blanketed in white. On this country estate, he would spend his Christmas holiday. He was 18 years old. He had not been doing well in school, though such, such frustrations would be set aside for this holiday season. His mother was in the house. He and his cousin and younger brother were playing outdoors. It was an old game called Fox and Rabbit. He, as the eldest, would play the rabbit. The youngsters had been hunting for him for about 20 minutes or so. To avoid capture, he ran off into the woods, heading for a very old bridge. Now, that bridge was a rustic, rugged structure. It was roughly 50 yards long, and it crossed a deep, dry ravine. He was halfway across the bridge, completely out of breath, when he heard his pursuers approaching from either side, he, the rabbit in their game, was trapped. Looking over the bridge rail, he could see the tops of the young fir trees, which were growing in the ravine. Maybe, 
just maybe, he could leap onto one of those trees, slide down it like a fireman's pole. Surely the branches would break his fall. Judging the distance to the nearest treetop, he climbed over the rail, spread his arms wide, and jumped. But the lad had miscalculated. He only brushed the outer tree branches in his descent. He fell 29 feet to the hard bottom of the ravine, and there he lay unconscious and seriously injured. What had begun as a children's game had ended in near tragedy. Mother was alerted. Her 18-year-old son, still unconscious, was lifted from the bottom of the ravine and carried to his bed, attended by the best specialist. He would remain unconscious for three days. And yet, even as he awakened, his troubles were only beginning. Among his many injuries, one kidney was ruptured. An operation would be required at once, and after that, months of recuperative confinement to his bed. His convalescence would take almost a year. When he was fit to travel, his parents brought him to London, and it was there that the boy's so far directionless life would find its course. But because he had been restricted from rigorous activity, it found the time to study. Ultimately, he passed his school examination, which he had twice failed previously. He also found time to visit Parliament, and with each parliamentary session he observed, he became more and more enamored with its politics. So once aimless and uninspired, because of that year of time out, when he had nothing that he could do but study and read, he became a student of politics. And he would be a student of it for the rest of his life. His 18th Christmas holiday could have been his last. But instead, he regained consciousness after his fall from the bridge. And with that awakening, he would never be the same. Nor indeed would our world. For Spencer, who suffered the awful flogging in school, the lad who led a mutiny by shredding his headmaster's hat, the boy who was saved not once but twice by a young man named Alex, the 18-year-old Spencer who jumped from a bridge to escape while playing fox and rabbit, that Spencer was none other than Sir Winston Leonard Spencer Churchill. Yes, Winston Churchill. You heard it on Jabber. Please subscribe wherever you are listening. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star review. 
That helps us so very much. Also, if you'd like to reach out to the show, you can reach us by emailing jabberpodcast at gmail.com. That is J-A-B-R podcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Thanks again for listening.